Welcome to The Storeroom, a North VCA podcast. The Storeroom is a place where we keep everything that influences our ideas. And this season, we discuss across a bewilderingly wide variety of topics the impact that brand stories have on our lives. Welcome to The Storeroom. Let's go inside and see what we can find. So hello and welcome to the to the storeroom. And one of the great things about advertising and design and, and creativity and creative industries in general is the people you meet from all sorts of walks of life. Um, anyone who's worked at a brilliant agency can attest to that. It's really the people that make it, uh, not just creatively, but as a, as a whole. You, when you work with great people, you can't help but make exceptional work. And uh, we are very, we're very happy today to have, and we're very excited to have Wyden and Kennedy Amsterdam's executive credit director on the show with us today. It's a former colleague of Mike's in Mike's Dutch phase, let's call it that. Please join me in uh, welcoming Eric Quinoy live from, well, not live, edited from Amsterdam. <laughs> Hi, Eric. Thanks for, thanks for being with us. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. I also, you know, Mike was also part of my New York life, not just the Dutch life. Uh, oh, wow. Your New York phase as well, Mike. Yeah, Apologies. we so yeah, that's go. that's where we met, and then um, and then we ended up going. I went to uh, I, I we sort of separated at that point, and then I ended up going back to Wyden Kennedy and working under Eric for for three or four years. Yeah, fantastic. Mark, kick us off with the first question. Uh, okay, Shit. so Eric, tell us where are you currently sitting, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and how did you how did you get there? How did you how did you end up in that in that chair that you're sitting in currently? Well, that's a good question. It was, a, it was a long journey to get to this chair, Mike. But, um, no, I'm in um, I'm in my son's bedroom actually right now because that's uh, that was probably the only room I could I knew that might be sort of uh, quiet at the moment. I'm, we're living in this you know how it is the work from home stage of our lives where there's there's people and traffic and dogs and all sorts of stuff yeah you know, all around but this was the quietest room i could find but i'm in this room in our house which is in a neighborhood of amsterdam called the jordan yeah. in the netherlands um i've been here for 16 years um wow. And yeah, I guess, how did I end up here? I mean, I'm an Aussie by origin, you know, I'm from Melbourne. Um, you know, I, I worked there for quite a while. And then I, 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 you know, I lived and worked in New York for seven and a half years. And then, um, well, I've got, a, I've got a French passport. You know, my parents are French. So I always had this, okay. this pull um, towards Europe. And uh, an opportunity came up to work at Wyden and uh, I didn't need to be asked twice for that. And uh, moved over here with my, at the time, sort of 10-month-old boy. And, um, yeah, just ended up here. And uh, it's been an amazing, amazing time. I love love living in this city. And, uh, you know, it's I feel, an, yeah, I feel good about it. It's an, incredible, it's an incredible city, Eric. And I wanted to ask, like, how did you start sort of realising that you were a creative? How did you, you know, how did it sort of dawn on you that you should, you should pursue a career in in what we do you know like most people it's like when all other options kind of um you know sort of felt short (laughs) i (laughs) yeah yeah. maybe that's more a question of creative (laughs) advertising more than creativity no like i i guess you know when i was younger um i was definitely a dreamer you know my 
my sister is eight years older than me. So I think I spent a lot of my childhood sort of having to create my own world in my head. I spent a lot of time just sort of, you know, making up shit in my own mind and sort of having to entertain myself uh, more than, you know, more than I guess most people had siblings to fight with or go yeah. out and play with or whatever. So um, well, these days you've got, I suppose you've got technology as a, as a, as a friend <laughs> that you can lean on if you need yeah. to. Yeah, your sad, you know, black box friend. But yeah, no, that, that, that is true. Um, no, but I guess, you know, when I, as, when I was at school, I was always into the stuff that required storytelling. Um, you know, I was just, that was the stuff that always, you know, I hated kind of hard facts, the science and maths, all that stuff was just a bit too sort of brutalist for me. I, I kind yeah. of like dream and... I don't know. I remember actually writing this, doing one science project we had. We had to do this thing on ants. I don't know why, but it was on ants. And I, I remember fabricating this quite elaborate story about ants, you know, but that we, they were going to take over the world, you know, because there were so many of them. It was a matter of time before they sort of, you know, they, they took sort of, over. Yeah. So I don't know. I just went deep into that and it was, I wrote, wrote this whole thing. And I was, I was, that was the fun part for me. It was telling stories. And I guess that, led to you know a career in creativity you know I did do a, a you know a business degree I did a marketing degree um, you know but that part of it the one part of that that I loved was always the communications part the advertising part which allowed for us to sort of mm. yeah tell those stories in interesting ways and um, I think after I, I traveled the world for about a year and a half when I finished university. It's a very Australian thing to do. Ah, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of a, a right. We call, it, we call it our national service here in South Africa. No? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's, it's really valuable time. You know, it really opens you up to the world and it expands your mind in all sorts of awesome ways. But I remember coming back from that trip and I didn't know what to do. I was a bit of a loss. You know, I had this marketing degree and I'm like, am I going to be coming at like a brand marketer or whatever and a friend of mine said oh i've got a friend who works in advertising he's a copywriter you should go and meet him this guy's name was rob hibbert and um i went over there to meet him in a suit i remember like a full suit and tie and he met me at reception in like a hawaiian shirt shorts and wearing socks and uh, <laughs> just socks and his shoes <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, yeah, no shoes, just socks. Oh, just socks. And, um, wow, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there were no shoes attached to the socks. And uh, yeah, I was like, this, what is this? What's going on here? And uh, I guess that's when I kind of knew I wanted to be in this business, I think. Yeah. Uh, like you, wanted to wear, you wanted to wear socks, basically. Yeah, exactly. And scarves, well, clearly. Yeah. It just, what I will say is that, you know, it looked like everyone was having fun. You know, and that was really appealing to me. I remember walking into that place and I'm like, what? everyone here is just kind of laughing and walking around. Everyone looks so relaxed. I'm like, is this like a real job? Because it doesn't seem like Yeah, one. yeah. Um, and I guess that was the, the, the point that, you know, I was kind of beguiled by the industry. Yeah, I want to, I want to jump ahead here quickly, Eric. It's a question we had for later, but um, I remember getting a talk, and I know you you know David Droger, uh, Mark was telling me, but I saw a, guy, a talk from a guy from Droger 5 at, a, at an event I went to, and he said one of our biggest challenges at the moment is to is because we've lost our exotic in some way. 
he said, because everyone's got an iPod back when I heard the talk, you know, everyone thinks they're a music or record collector because you've got an iPhone and they think they're photographers. So the people are, people are a bit more, their, their sense of expectation is almost heightened and it's up to us to constantly challenge that and, and retain our exotic. I don't know if you feel that's, that's, that's kind of well, become true or changed over the years. Maybe, you know, the, the business itself to, has lost some of its luster, you know, I think not that I'm advocating to go, you know, Mad Men days, which was just yeah. a very sort of, you know, uniform white male dominated kind of thing. But, you know, the point of that time was that it was a very well-respected business, you know, and I think maybe that's taken a bit of a hit, you yeah. know, and I people were looking to advertising in ways, you know, to entertain them and to, to spark, you know, thoughts and, I don't know, yeah. maybe in a way that it, it's a lot harder for us to compete now, let's face it. I mean, mm. our competition now, it's not other advertising agencies, it's the entire internet, you know, <laughs> and, ev yeah, and everything exactly. on it, you know, so, and last time I checked, there's lots of really good stuff on there, you know, yeah. there's yeah. rubbish too, but, you know, essentially we're competing against an entire planet of creators who yeah. are... Mm. Uh, coming up with really amazing ideas and, and doing really fresh, fun stuff. And obviously, as you mentioned, the tools um, to make those things are all at their disposal. So it's never been easier to create and make. So, yeah, yeah maybe, you know, it isn't as exotic. It's lost a, a lot. And I think our business, one of the great struggles of our sort of time right now is to, you know, to how do we get the talents, those creative talents to, to work in this industry. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I know you. I know Mike also mentioned to me that you that you, you you had a burgeoning skiing career, just changing changing lanes, quite literally, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you yeah. fill us in a bit on that? Yeah, no, that's true. I um, in my in my youth, I was in the Australian ski team. Skiing was a big thing for me. You know, I was just madly obsessed with it when I was younger, and I I managed to make it through a few development teams. You know, local in you know the the mountain I used to ski at, and then um, eventually made it to the Australian ski team. Um, some people think it's a lot like being in the Jamaican bobsled team. Um, but in defense of Australian skiing, we've actually had some world, you know, some yeah, world cup winners have come out of Australia. And we do have, you know, a good 15, 20 resorts in Australia. A lot of people don't realize that. So yeah. there's skiing is actually quite a big thing. For sure. Um, I think so any, any, any sport in Australia is a big thing, yeah. Yeah, true. Sport is huge in Australia. It's such a yeah. part of it. And, you know, and I think, you know, I know for, for South Africans too, it's definitely, I guess it's a symptom, of, uh, you know, of, of, the great outdoors, you know, living in these big wide open spaces with pretty decent weather is that yeah. you're out there kicking a ball and throwing things and, you know, jumping off things in a, in a yeah. way that you might not in other parts of the world. So, yeah, but that was, sure. you know, I, that, that was great having that experience when I was younger, even though there was never really a, let's say a professional you know, future for me in that, unless I wanted to be a ski instructor. Let's face it, you know, we were competing against Austrians and French and Germans and, you know, like the best yeah, Italians, yeah. in the world. And you like, 
you know, they were on another level, let's face it. So, but it was a great experience. I learned a lot about myself and about discipline and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how, how has that experience influenced? Because I've also had that kind of background. You know, I was, I was also sort of obsessed with the, with, the, with the sporting code. And I won't mention it because it's, it's, it's uh, irrelevant for now. But, like, that has definitely, you know, especially later on in the game, uh, in in my my professional career, it definitely had a like I sort of draw on that experience quite a lot. I think there's a lot of like um, yeah. And, uh, yeah I suppose just what is your how that has that influenced your your career? Have you kind of used that? Um, you know, being in that yeah. sort of team dynamic and and sort of competing and, and the sort of discipline and training and, um, and there's a lot of overlap. There's actually a, a um, this this podcast I listened to recently where it's a guy who's an ex NFL. Uh, coach and he's now moved into the business world but he's training businessmen in the same way that he would an athlete so he's given them a correct diets and sleeping patterns and all that sort of stuff and you, you can see their performance actually kind of increasing um, because they've just turned themselves into actual you know sort of athletes of the business world yeah so, I, yeah i think sport if you you know played at a reasonably high level um yeah, it teaches you what it takes to succeed, I think. As you said, there's a lot of discipline involved. Um, I think also one of the big things is that there's a lot of pain involved in sport. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of losing, you know, actually, yeah. you know, yeah. before you win. So I think, you know, but you've got to keep at it, you know, yeah. and you take your small victories as they come. Um, so I think... Yeah, hardship is a big part of it. And I think that builds, in a way, a resilience, I think, that maybe some people don't always get. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually quite a, quite a great segue into my next point about just, you know, sport and, and, and what we do. Um, I think we have to speak about right the future. Uh, for, for the campaign was absolutely mind-blowing, but if you don't know much about football, it was, I'm sure, mesmerising. But if you're nuts about it like, like I am and Mike is, um, then it was like it was like crack. It was really a, just perfectly pitched. And how did that all come about, Eric? I well, mean, obviously it's the WMK account, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it was like, you know, like any, you know, brief, like the World Cup brief. You know, I mean, when I came to Wyden Kennedy Amsterdam in particular, the 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 greatest allure of that place was that had they done, you know, probably all of the most my most favourite ever sort of football ads at the yeah. time, you know, with, uh, you know, good versus evil oh, and yeah. airport and secret yeah. tournaments, um, yeah. yoga Benito. I mean, you know, there was just such a legacy of ridiculously good work. Um, so yeah, it, there came a day, you know, quite fortunately in my life where I was brief, getting briefed. I remember we went to the Olympic stadium in, uh, in Amsterdam here. It was the, inspiring environment chosen to sort of brief the world cup brief for, for nike and it was i have to admit it's one of those really intimidating moments in your life it's kind of everything you ever wanted in your life but it's and also do it. yeah. beyond <laughs> scary and i think i remember the client saying something like we want to do something that's never been seen before never been done before and you just kind of go oh my god you know you're just about ready to puke <laughs> you know, but then you, you sort of get down to it and start coming up with ideas. Um, 
And are you a football fan, Eric? Sorry, just yeah. To like I was a massive football fan. You know, my dad, okay. um, my dad being, being French. French yeah. Not, yeah. Not that every Frenchman's into football, but he, he was. He he loved his football, and I was a mad. Uh, you know, I used to be massive. Still, am massive Arsenal fan. There was a French connection to that club back in the day. Yeah, with Fink, uh, absolutely. With all the greats, you know, Vieira and Henri. And, and Beatables, yeah. Perez and everything. So, yeah. So, yeah, I was always into it. So the opportunity to work on a, on a mega football brief like that was just kind of amazing. Um, you know, but then after that, it was just knuckling down and, and, and just doing script after script after script after script after script. And uh, I, I, would, I would say a lot of the credit for even us getting to that idea goes to the power of a wonderful brief, which was written by Dan Hill. And I think his brief was quite simply, I think it was written as make history. Mm-hmm. Um, as your, as your and, departure point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so from make history to write the future, you can see, you know, it's the power of an amazing brief got us there. I mean, of course, having to, we still wrote 300 ideas before getting to write the future, but you know, the, the leaping point was, was built for us there. Yeah, and and how did you cope with this with the sheer scale of it, Eric? I mean that 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 I mean did, did you get to a point where you're like we've got the script, we've got the production going? Wow, now there's a there's a lot to happen. Yeah, it was. I mean, honestly, it was like nothing else. I, you know, I'm not kidding myself uh, into thinking I'll ever do something like that again in my career. I think uh, I got this email once from a, a, a great. A uh, long-time Wyden Kennedy creative called Hal Curtis. Um, he's a bit of a legend there. And he sent me an email after it saying, good luck trying to outdo yourself for the rest of your career. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't wrong. You know, he wasn't wrong. You know, because yeah. those opportunities to do something of such scale, I think, yeah. you know, may never happen again, to be honest. And, you know, it was at like a 23-day shoot. I remember at one point um, I was in Kenya with a bunch of people shooting the scenes where Didier Drogba is doing his bit and he's got all the crowd singing Drogba, Drogba, eh, you know, like they're all. Yeah. And we had like literally 3,000 people in this sort of ghetto in Kenya, you know, where we were shooting that. Mark was back in um, London starting to do the edit. So he's, he was already editing some scenes. We'd done the Rooney sort of section um, and some other yeah, parts. Which is, which is and, a wonderful, which is a wonderful yeah, thing the whole area. Exactly. And then we had, um, Stuart was in Los Angeles shooting the Kobe Bryant scene. Uh, bless him, poor old Kobe. Um, yeah, yeah, RIP, yeah. Yeah, when he does his little, he imitates the the Ronaldinho move, you know, so it was, it was honestly, it was like making a movie. I mean, and we were of making course. that movie with, you know, one of the great Hollywood directors in, uh, in Aritu. And um, it was overwhelming, you know, it was beyond overwhelming. And I, I honestly, every day we thought we were going to fail. Um, but we somehow, there was a challenge literally every day of that shoot. Um, yeah, I can but imagine. There's just the shit we had to overcome, whether it be, you know, athletes not showing up or some big production snafu. I mean, it was it was insane, but we somehow, somehow managed to, to get through it. And a lot of credit to that goes to the client who 
you know, they were basically getting phone calls in Portland every other day, sort of <laughs> their heads there sort of going, this just happened. Uh, I think we need more money. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but they had seen what we were shooting. They'd seen yeah. the dailies. And I think they knew we were making something magical. And they were like, great. just yeah. just get it made. Do whatever it takes. Just make it, get it made. and uh, Just do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Just <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that's very cheesy. Apologies. <laughs> but um, Mark, I don't know if you. I know, I know there's quite a few questions here, but um, I wanted to jump into. You know, you, you mentioned you're writing hundreds of scripts and uh, around around that particular campaign, and so, so that obviously means thousands, if not tens of thousands, to your career. But do you have a, a creative process? Uh, I mean, um, yeah. No, I wouldn't say I do. I, I don't really have a formula for how to approach it. I mean, obviously, as a writer, I, you know, I start with words. You know, generally, I just like to write my way into a problem. So I'll yeah. just kind of, you know, freestyle and just start writing stuff down. And go, oh, that's interesting. You know, and a word here leads to something else. I mean, you know how it, it just needs to start with something. Yep. And for me, it's it's it starts with words. But you know, many times we've had solutions cracked by an amazing visual. Um, mm. You know, I remember. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, quite often, you know, an awesome piece of art direction or design or something makes you go, "Oh, look at that! That's amazing!" So. I don't have a process myself. I mean, other than, I guess I, I say I, I do, it's just starting with words, but I don't have some sort of no, there's weird no formula. word association thing or, or anything like that. But And obviously your, your role, um, you know, from, from where you were to where you are now has changed, you know, massively being the sort of ECD global, I mean, uh, you know, leader of, of the business now, you spend probably yeah. most of your time in meetings and uh, sort of you know, that, that kind of, that probably takes up, you know, as I said, majority of your day. Do you, do you still get to sort of write? Do you still get to be creative? Do you, and you know, like, and if you don't, what kind of, what is your outlet? Do you have an outlet? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, look, I think, you know, the further, the weird thing is that the, the higher up you rise in this business, sometimes I think the further you get away from the work, you know, at least on a day-to-day -day basis, it becomes much more of an oversight role than, you know, being in the weeds of it. Um, you know, look, first and foremost, you know, Mark and my role, you know, Mark is my co-ECD in Amsterdam. Um, you know, first and foremost, our role is creating a culture that inspires creativity. So we're just really that is our our biggest remit. It has to be just creating an environment where people want to, you know, are happy, feel supported, feel loved, and it's fun and playful, and no, you know, good ideas are left on the table. They're all sort of brought out to the surface and. So that really is the, our number one sort of task, definitely. But having said that, we we still write for sure. And we we never write, you know, we never sort of try and put our idea in, you know, to sort of, you know, yeah. beat some, you know, junior copywriter's idea. <laughs> you know, that would just be horrible. <laughs> I, Eric wrote this awesome script. Uh, sorry, uh, buddy. Uh, you, you're not making anything this month. Uh, <laughs> we, we'd never do that, but we, we do write when the chips are down, you know, so 
yeah quite often in you know on pitches i'd say we'll sort of we'll write something we'll write an idea an activation idea or a script or whatever it takes we just we just get stuck in uh, recently on samsung mark and i wrote a script um which ended up getting produced it was this big script we did um called i'm open to that and it was just a, a song and dance sort of broadway number we did and it was just really fun to do that you know yeah. but it's rare and again that was a situation where no one had cracked it it was a really urgent brief they needed scripts within days and we were like let's throw some in the mix and yeah you know so uh, look it, i think it's great and i think it's vital to keep writing and to keep being at least to have your mind thinking in a creative way and being close to the work as, as close to the work as you can yeah i think just otherwise i just don't think i'd you know enjoy this job half as much you know um, how much did how much did Melbourne Melbourne in, inform your sort of approach to life or being Australian? I mean, uh, I don't know if you if you know the term doll call. I don't know if that's crossed your. No, tell me what is it? It's, it's a music scene that started in in Melbourne where it was everyone's on the doll basically, and so there's oh, sort of right. the doll call music. But it's like it's like Courtney Barnett and, and bands like Loose Tooth. There's some really great music coming out of Melbourne. But I wanted to ask you, what was it like growing up there, and was it always cool, and and why is it cool now? Um, first and foremost, uh, I haven't been there for three years, so I can't tell you if yeah. it's cool now. Although I think I suspect I know it's cool. Mel Melbourne's yeah. great. I mean, Melbourne. every time I go back, I'm always like, shit, why did I leave? This place is amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't lived there for over 20 years, 22, 23 years. But as I said, every time I go back, I, I, I just love it. Um, I guess, you know, has it always been cool? It didn't feel cool when I lived there. It just felt yeah. like home. I think you, you know, you need that almost that outside perspective. Yeah. For you to kind of, you know, I think when I came back, you know, I lived in New York and I remember the first time I went back feeling that I might be a snob about Melbourne or something. Like, you know, after living in the bright lights of, <laughs> yeah. of New York. And I remember going back and wow, this place is amazing. And in every subsequent return there, I just always thought Melbourne was great. I mean, it's just an amazing multicultural city. I think what why Melbourne's great. I think you know, and Australia to you know an extent also. Not all, not every part of it, but. Aussies have really been really good. We're talking about this as the rite of passage to travel. I think there's this thing where. Aussies, Melburnians, everyone just went and traveled and just went all over the world and was, ah, oh, I love this thing. Let's bring that back. And, oh, yeah. what's this dish? I'm going to bring this dish back. And I think there was this great learning that went on. And then people brought all that stuff back home yeah. and sort of Melbourneized it. And, and, and I won't lie, in many cases, made it better than the original. Um, you know, a lot of people say you might get a better coffee in Melbourne than you do in Italy, you know, and, but, you know, there, I think there's quite a few things like that where <laughs> I almost prefer the Melbourne version to the original, which is probably so criminal <laughs> to say, but, uh, but, you know, I think that outward looking perspective of, you know, looking at the world and being interested and curious in what's going on in the world, I think, which is probably, probably a product of our isolation yeah um i think has made it a great city you know it's a it's a beautiful vibrant optimistic city and uh yeah it's great i love going back there I, i'm dying to get back it's been you know too long just because of obviously all the you know yeah what's madness but um yeah, yeah. 
Are those bands, what do they call them again? Or are they called Dole? Dole, Dole Call, yeah. It's, yeah. I, 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 I was doing a bit of research for this and I stumbled across it because I found it was a lot of bands I liked. I mean, I know Nick Cage yeah. from Melbourne and some more well-known like acts, but yeah, they've got a really good music scene at the moment. Garth, there is. Garth could probably chime in on that as well. Yeah, there's some amazing music coming out of there. You know those guys, King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard? Oh, yeah. King Gizzard, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. There's this band called the Chats too. They sound like a real yeah, soul smoker. Yeah, that's a, you know, it's so like I want to. What there's a song called Smoker. Smoker. Get yeah, the whole yeah. smoker for about a. About a <laughs> um, <laughs> there is that you know. There's a real. I think Australians. You know, there's this kind of cheekiness to that yeah. stuff, which is quite attractive. You know, it's very and playful, and it's it's not. Uh, it's quite pure. It's not yeah. cynical. Um, yeah. Which I think is is great. And I think that's that's where I was going. Sorry, Mike. I know you want to ask a question, but also I think that's where I was going with that is that that's sort of Australian worldview when it comes through in, in great communication and your advertising. It's, it's it's really as you said, there's nothing cynical about it. It's just a yeah. joyous. I mean, yeah. I, immediately I, I think of the image of all the all the kids in the hospital being named Wayne, and then I have this <laughs> picture of him with his beard outside the caravan. And, uh, yeah, those are just very Australian moments in a in a in a, in a great ad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, maybe it's a product of being quite a new country. We, 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 have, we haven't been around long enough to build up that sort of cynicism yet. You exactly. know? I mean, exactly. I love, you know, I'm French. My parents are French when I go to France. There's so much cynicism, you know, <laughs> about government and the world. It's kind of part of being French in a way. And that's, and, you know, that is a culture that runs so deep yeah. and so long, you know, that... Uh, we're still kind of these, you know, in Australia, sort of these fresh-eyed kids who yeah, still like, think wow, everything's amazing. Cool you know, like amazing. we haven't been bombed or anything yet. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, totally. Same as South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very much. We're even. We're even newer. We're about twenty-two years old. If you. If you yeah. True. Yeah. We are. We just. We still on the. Still on the learning curve. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got a question, which is a uh, bit of a change of, of uh, direction, but uh, the pandemic. Mm. We haven't sort of chatted to you since, uh, you know, all the sort of shit at the fan. But I just wanted to get, um, how, how's it going with the pandemic and, you know, how's it worked with WK? Is it, is it kind of better for it or, or is it worse for it? And how, how are you managing the ship? I mean, we, we've, got a, we've got a tiny little boat that we sort of, you know, struggle to kind of manage every day but you've got a, a massive ship and you've got so many sort of people and there's so many kind of dynamics and how is it how has the pandemic uh changed wk and is it for the better or for the worse um boy that's a really good question um let me try and take a glass half full perspective because I could easily go for a glass half empty. Go French or Australian, basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I, I'll answer this as a nozzy for now. Yeah. Um, well, maybe I'll start with the French perspective, actually. <laughs> All right. It's been really hard maintaining culture, I'd say. You know, I mean, I mentioned that before that, you know, that our job really is to build a culture. And I think you know we've got people from all over the world in our office and they come from they come from everywhere and uh, you know so there's this inherently sad part of this and that they a lot of them have moved their whole lives over here only to sit at their kitchen table and sort of take zooms all day mm. and um you know yeah. we're all out of the office now you know um 
hopefully we're getting back soon, but I won't lie that trying to maintain culture in this environment has been incredibly difficult. And I think we've done our best to try and maintain it, you know, but there's only so many sort of, you know, novel Zoom parties that you can do, you know, to really replicate what it means to be together in a space. And um, all those countless little interactions that occur when we're together and all those little moments, the ability to resolve something immediately as opposed to having to organize a Zoom, you know, all those little conversations, the after work drinks, you know, where we discuss the work and all those things just have, have been sorely missed. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't think anyone who, who says that they haven't missed that or don't think it's necessary. I just don't think they understand. And our business really is about the stickiness of our culture. Um, I think that's really something we try and, you know, put a heavy emphasis on. So that would be the French perspective. I think the Aussie perspective maybe is that, you know, the, the some good that's come out of it is that we have learned to sort of, you know, also afford ourselves some freedoms and headspace in ways that maybe we never did before, you know. So there's people working from beaches in Portugal and, you know, their parents' house in Spain. I know there's one art director who's been working from his um, parents' house up in the Italian Dolomites, the, the mountains there, and it works, you know, so there is a beauty to that, that we've learned, you know, we've given ourselves that flexibility to be able to work in some situations, in places we never would have imagined we could actually continue and, and actually have a continually push the process forward in that way. And look, in the last two years, the business has grown. I mean, we had a horrible 2020 when, you know, I guess when the shit originally hit the fan and clients stopped, stopped spending money, but it's built back really well. And I guess the proof is that we've managed to continue making work and good work in that time. So it does, it can be done, but I'm not going to, I'm not mm. going to say that we can have this future where we're all working from our homes and beaches around planet earth and, think that that's going to succeed i don't think it we can succeed in that because i think what makes us great is the togetherness and us being together and and that culture that enriches us and yeah, suppose, sort of chaos that leads to great ideas yeah i suppose you're going to kind of end up with a australian french combination where you're going to have like you know opportunity to to work remotely or to manage your own time. And then you're gonna have opportunity to come into the, into, the, into the workspace and collaborate. And I suppose that time together will be um, just treated very differently as to what it was before. Exactly. I think that's yeah. where we're, what we're sort of going for. I mean, we're taking the learnings of this time. I think we'd be foolish not to. And I think most companies are, mm. but you know, I think what we've done is we've tried to, you know, look for serving suggestions. We're, we're not telling anyone when they need to be in the office, but we're kind of saying it's probably better when you kick off a project, we're all together, or a, a big creative jam session that we're all together, uh, or, you know, maybe when you're deep in a production, pre-production things, and there's lots of minutiae that needs to be discussed that we're all together. So those things, I think, we want to maintain that and also we want to 
increase, you know, we want to have more moments of inspiration together, whether that's outside speakers coming and talking to us or parties where we just get to sort of hang out and get drunk together. These things we're sort of trying to build a culture around those things. But, you know, we're also, if you want to go and write your manifesto from your, you know, mountaintop retreat somewhere or in your living room or on your bed, whatever you want, that's fine too. So I think there's there's a place for both. So I think that flexibility, I think, is is the way to go going forwards. And I'm up for it too. I mean, I'm in, I'm into being able to work from a you know French country house every now and then, or you know, yeah, like absolutely. why not? Yeah. yeah. Well, we've spoken about the the best of the workplace, and in some ways, the worst of the the workplace. Um, I wanted to ask you, your, your, I mean, we've spoken about your some of your best work, not all of it, but what was your most challenging, or for want of a better word, what was your What's your worst piece of work, Eric, that you can remember? Oh I mean, maybe in terms of the experience of creating it, whatever it was. Yeah. I maybe, you know, there's always things that there's been ones where, you know, it's such a nightmare. I mean, in many ways, right, the future was a, the worst experience that produced the best work. I mean, it was the worst in that it was an absolute nightmare and it was it was yeah. so stressful and exhausting and there were so many obstacles, but it produced great work. And, and then the yeah. difference there was that everyone was united in creating something great. There was no, there was no weak links, you know, no, there wasn't a client or some production thing, you know, producer that was saying it can't be done. Everyone was like holding hands on it. So there, there's lots of those moments. I would say, like, I just remember once when I was in New York, I was asked to write a Swiffer ad. A Swiffer, I don't know if you know what that is. It's like a, it's like yeah. a, it's like a mop, you know, like a mop oh, that okay. has clean yeah. floors, you know. Uh, I don't know, it's got this special fabric that apparently cleans better than the next yeah. mop. And I remember being asked, I wasn't working on that assignment, but I remember just that, you know, again, they needed ideas. And I remember writing a script, I swear, in 10 minutes, I wrote this thing. And they unfortunately bought it. And so I had to go, and it was really just kind of a pedestrian script at best. It was so bad. But I, I remember just how they thought it was so great. And it speaks volumes about the client sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember going to make this thing. And, you know, we had this sort of the the person, the floor dynamics expert, and you know, the person who was in charge of the dirt qualities that go on the floor to show the clean area and the dirty area and all these things. And I, I literally did not have a role left in that. And there was nothing I could really add to that script anyway, but I, I did make me kind of go, I never want to do this sort of stuff again. I yeah. want at least do work that's interesting, that at least goes for something that pushes and that never just kind of mails it in, um, yeah. you know. So it, in many ways, it served me well as knowing what I never wanted to do again yeah. in my life. Yeah, so it's, a, it's the, the sort of irony of our, our business is that sort of tougher the kind of road, the yeah. better the result. It feels like every time you kind of, if, if something sort of sails through, generally it's just going to kind of, be completely forgettable or it's just gonna yeah. you know it's gonna sell through all the way to you know oblivion. that's, where, that's a great where point if yeah great where point. if you've like if you've got that tension and you've got that uh you know you've got that sort of belief but you know the other guess you're just fighting constantly and it's a battle and it's exhausting and it's, 
you come out of it on the other side and you're just kind of totally shattered yeah. and but the result always ends up being yeah. amazing. I'll take something I'm really proud of with lots of pain, uh, you know, instead of the opposite of that, which just sailed through to your point. I you know, I think it's, yeah. it's the sporting analogy again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. you need resistance. You need you need pain. All the good the stuff opposition. takes pain. <laughs> and, uh, and I think there's something to be said about, you know, when we're all a bit scared of what we're doing and we don't quite know what it's going to be, that's exciting and thrilling and generally leads to better work. It doesn't always. I mean, so many things have to go right, let's face it, to do a great piece of work, mm -hmm. to do a truly world-class piece of work. You know, there's so many places for that thing to fall short, to mm -hmm. fail, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, like a bit of copy or some production thing, the wrong casting, you know, like, I don't know. There's so many places for so it to fail. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's always kind of a minor miracle when you make something that's truly amazing. But, you know, I'd rather go for that every time and, and be scared yeah. of uh, and, and maybe take the risks of failure along with you. <laughs> but yeah. that's so much more exciting, I think. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, a, it's something that sort of hasn't gone away for, for myself or Gab. We talk about it often, but you mentioned it earlier, you know, that, that sort of my key brief, the brief that, you, that everyone wants and then you finally get it. And then you like, oh shit, you know. And I, I think that you know, whatever brief it is, you know, for us, it's always, it's always that same feeling. It's the same feeling I had when I started out in in the industry. To now, you know, with all the experience I have, it's still the same feeling of like, am I oh, actually going to figure this out? Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> like, what do we do now? Yeah. yeah. Do you do you still have that? Do you still get that? I mean, I know you don't sort of work mainly on like maybe on, on yeah. briefs as often as. But does that ever go away, I suppose? That's a great, really great point. I, I had it for years to the point that it crippled me, you know, and I think with time and experience, it went away bit by bit. It's not like I don't start every project with a little bit of a deep breath and just go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? But yeah. I, what's happened with time and experience is that I'm confident we'll, we'll get to something. Yeah. Um, Whereas before, I, you know, I think I was so scared when I, in my younger days of just having nothing, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so I have a confidence that we'll, we'll be able to crack something every time. I, I, I do. And ideas come to you, you know, if you let them come to you. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a horrible expression, but I remember someone telling me you can't shit out a good idea. You know, it, yeah. it, it can't be sort of pushed out in this way. Sorry, I don't want to give anyone <laughs> that's gotten quite <laughs> scatological. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Saying you have to digest it first. Well <laughs> just yeah, I don't know. It's just you know, it, it just has to to come to you. And um yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously we're working under deadlines, you know, a lot that are kind of crazy these days. But I think if you trust, it'll it'll come. So I think that's mm. come with age and experience, I think to me. Yeah. No, I but I, I still, you know, I still go, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah. yeah for a, it's, a for a it's a first reaction. Yeah, yeah of course. It's a first reaction and you're like, well, actually, we'll be okay. You know, yeah, yeah exactly. We'll okay. I think that's, that's natural, you know. I think sometimes the inverse is true when you get some people who may not have the same amount of ability who are completely convinced that they can absolutely do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think that's the inverse, to be honest. I knew yeah. this, this guy when I was younger and I was sort of doing ad schools and stuff like that who 
he was so confident. <laughs> like every time I'm going to crack this, I've got this, you know, and I, I, it, it frightened me and kind of, I was like, my God, how can he be so sure of himself? So and <laughs> I think a lot of it was front actually, but you yeah. know, which I had to hand it to him, but um, I didn't understand it. I'm like, wow, this is like some sort of, superpower because i definitely wasn't that guy at all okay i'll sit down and start trying to figure this out but yeah i certainly wasn't making any big proclamation before uh, i'd come up with any ideas that's the last last thing you want to do yeah yeah exactly all right um yes mike no no gav i i think we we sort of nearing the the end i'm sure there's i've got about 25 more questions to ask which we obviously can't do but Maybe uh, maybe one each, Gav. Absolutely. Um, Mike, into, Mike mentioned it earlier. Um, any other creative pursuits outside of your outside of outside of your career? Things that you enjoy. Um. Oh God, it's a bit. This is going to sound pathetically cliche, but I, you know, I like. I'm I'm writing a screenplay at the moment, so. That's uh, you know that's that's fun. You know who knows whether it'll ever go anywhere. But you know, it's it allows me to sort of think of other things and 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 have this kind of story form in my head. And I, I love, yeah. you know, just you know the depth you can go with a screenplay. You know, which is yeah. so much more than obviously like a thirty second spot or a, you know an activation idea or whatever. You can really, you know, the story needs to be really figured out. You know, from beginning to end. So I'm really enjoying that. Uh, you know, that's about it. I play a bit of, you know, shit guitar every now and then. Um, a doll call. Yeah. Are you still, um, <laughs> yeah, are you still riding your bike? Uh, well, not this time of year. It's too cold. I'm a fair weather rider. Right now, I just, okay. I mean, there's like, yes, there's like 60 kilometer hour winds here. So that's just like hell. Um, I'll, I'll get back on it in, a, you know, around March or something. I'll start getting back on it. Um, okay, awesome. Yeah. I definitely still get pleasure out of that when I when I get in the saddle. Awesome, Eric. Well, you know, I think, Gav, I think we, we, we could uh, probably call it now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Eric, it's been absolutely fascinating chatting to you. And I know, as Mike said, I think we could both have a lot, a lot more questions for you. So we may have to do a, a return leg. Um, uh, yeah, well, anytime. You've enjoyed it's, it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's kind of nice. Uh, it's nice to talk about yourself, really, every now and then. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been really good. Thank you so much Fantastic. for inviting me. It's, it's been fun. Um, Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.